Well, we're going to be talking about, this is going to wrap up a series that we've been doing on, on uh, steps. And so today we're going to be talking about this. We talked about two internal steps, and this time is going to be, and then we got to the first external step, and then today is the final external step that we're going to be talking about. David said this in, in Psalm 37, the steps of the righteous are set in order by the Lord. Um, probably, you probably have noticed that there are steps, your, your life is going in, that's cool, man, what was it? Wow. <laughs> You're certainly entitled to that opinion. <laughs> that is an Alexa. We don't have an Alexa in here, do we? I don't know where that came from. <laughs> but that is really... I, I, I don't think that's ever happened before in any church ever, anywhere. But. Okay, we are going to look at John 15, verse 12 through 14 first. I don't think I have this for you, but um, we're going to look at this final step, which is giving every day, giving away every day. You know, that's funny about that Alexa thing, because we have one at home, and we'll be talking and she'll interrupt us. Like, I'm gonna unplug that thing. That's that's getting kind of spooky, you know. My son won't even have it, so that's government looking in. So, well, okay. Um, John 15 verse 12 through 14 says, "Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends." And you are my friends, Jesus speaking. If you do what I command you. So we're going to talk about, at the end of this, we're going to have some communion and we're going to be looking again. It never gets old, does it, about the greatest gift that was ever given to us, and that was Jesus Christ and His life, so that He could die so that we could be alive again. So we're going to be looking at that together and receiving communion um, here in a minute. But, and then towards the, after we're done with communion, I'll, I'll leave it optional to you. If you need to go, you can go. But I want to show you, I want to introduce you to a conference that we were in. It's, it's, uh, we're, we're getting a new uh, uh, Hobby Lobby in town. And they're going into the old Kmart building. And the founder is Steve Green. And we want to show a little bit of a video. It's about 15 minutes long. Uh, if you got to go, I understand. But he talks about his grandmother uh, and her, her giving. She didn't have a whole lot, but she continued to tithe and give. Uh, she was a pastor's wife, and so his grandfather was a pastor. And uh, she never really saw the, the end of her giving, but they're a giving family because of it. And so I, I, I go to the C3 conference. I've uh, been three times. I think you've been twice. And um, I didn't get to go the last couple years because we were just too busy. But uh, it, it, sometimes you wonder, well, where does he go? Why does he go to all these conferences? Well, you're going to get a taste of it today because you can see how much encouragement and so much strength comes from those conferences. And, and so uh, we'll get into that here in just a minute. I want to make a proposal as we start today. It's hard to be too 
generous. It's hard to be too generous. But some people don't believe this. If you start to be generous to somebody, they'll go, oh, no, no, you're being too generous, right? And so we have troubles with this. So we're going to get into a story of extravagant generosity. In all four accounts of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, there's an account of women who anointed Jesus with oil. Remember that? And then wiping his feet with their hair. Their hair. Um, there's two, actually two different women that did this. One occurs in early in his ministry in the north part of, uh, in the area of Galilee. And the other one that we're going to talk about today uh, is, is another person, another woman who did the exact same thing, but a little bit more. And it was right at the end of his ministry, right about this time of the year. We're about ready to hit into Easter and it, and it was right before his crucifixion, six days out. And so we're going to look at what she did and the significance of what she did. The first woman was a, a, a prostitute and she was anointing because she had felt the forgiveness. She received the forgiveness of Jesus and she came to him in a repentance and she just was being cleansed of her sin. And, uh, it was at a Pharisee's house. And so you can see how those are diametrically opposed. Pharisee, you've got to be righteous. You've got to be good and good, good, goodness. And, but did not worship Jesus. And now we have this prostitute coming in who is obviously not, a, uh, has not behaved well. And she comes in with her heart and worships Jesus. And Jesus received that. This one is a different account. Three of the Gospels talk about this account right before Jesus. The other one with the prostitute was uh, Luke talks about that. The other three talk about this one. We're going to look at it in John. And this has a whole different purpose. When she comes in to anoint Jesus, and actually it says that it wasn't just her feet. He, she started to anoint him from the head and it dripped down over all of his body. That's going to be significant. It's going to be important as we go on because of what that meant to Jesus. Alright, so let's go through this. Anybody remember Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? Two sisters and a brother. If you remember, I'm not going to go into it, but if you remember Lazarus, when Jesus raised him from the dead, all right, uh, well, he has two sisters, Mary and Martha, and there's the famous story that you like. I'm actually impressed by both of them, um, especially as we get into this story. You see a change in Martha, too, because this is later. This is after that account when G Martha or Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and learned and Martha was serving. She got a little irritated at her sister for not helping. Um, so there seems to be a change. So. Um, so Lazarus has been raised from the dead. Mary's grown. Martha's grown. We're six days from the crucifixion. Things are brewing like crazy in Jerusalem. There's so much turmoil by this Jesus who's going around healing people, 
taking on the Pharisees, taking on the Sadducees, taking on the Herodians, and causing all kinds of stuff, actually kicking people out of the temple, saying this should be a house of prayer. Uh, he's about ready to drop his protection. They've tried to kill him several times. And he's about ready to drop his protection and lay down his life. Remember, they didn't murder him so much as he laid his life down. They wouldn't have been able to touch him had he not laid his life down. So it was an act of volition. That's how much God loves each one of us, is that Jesus, His Son, actually chose to love us by giving His life for every one of us personally. Yeah, not just His physical life, but like you said, a surrender. That's, that's your soul, your will. Giving up your will to the, to the plan of God, His emotions, His spiritual life. He was... He was human. He was going to be separated from God the Father that he'd eternally been connected to. So in every way he laid it down. Yes. Okay, so let's, let's pick it up in John chapter 12, verse 1. And we'll just read through some of these verses and you can interject whatever you want to interject and I'll do the same. Six days before <clears throat> the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. That's noteworthy. Where Lazarus lived. Okay, so Jesus is about ready. He's coming to give His life. He's about ready to go into Jerusalem. But before He goes to Jerusalem, He stops in this little town outside of Jerusalem called Bethany. Because why? Why would He stop there? He knows He's going to give His life. He knows He's going to suffer like no person has ever suffered before. He knows He's about ready to face this and he's going to be put before all of his haters. Where would you go if you knew that you were going to go through something like this? You might want to hang out with your friends. You want to kind of pull together the people that are closest to you. So that they can kind of minister to you. And that's exactly what Jesus does. You can see his humanity. See, we think of God, we think of Jesus being 100% God and he was, but he was also 100% man. He had feelings just like us. That's totally amazing to me. And so it says that six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. And Martha served. And I think something had happened. I don't think Martha was in a place that she was before. I didn't think she really cared if Mary sat at his feet again. There's been some major change in Martha over the course of these last three years. And she's serving out of a heart. I just want to serve. I just want to honor my Lord. Remember who's sitting in this room. Her brother who was dead and was raised from the dead and is sitting right there. Wouldn't you want to kind of hold a dinner and honor if you knew he was coming back through? So, I see a change in her. It says, Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. Then Mary took about a pint, that's a half a liter, of pure nard, an expensive perfume. And she poured it on Jesus' feet. Another gospel, another author says that she started at the head and starts to drip down and then she poured it on his feet. 
and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with this fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money, this is the offering bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now John's recording this, and I, I have to wonder if that wasn't the first time. I, I have to wonder if John probably had noticed that Judas was doing that. Maybe? And it probably didn't set well with him. And maybe some of the other disciples had noticed that too. I thought the offering was this much. And we only have this much. I wonder where it's going. But whatever the case, we see Judas's deceit beginning to blossom here. His corruption. So Jesus responds and He says this, Leave her alone. Jesus replied, It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So Mark's account notes that this was the last straw for, G or for Judas and he gets up and he leaves to go betray him, go to the chief priest and betray Jesus. So immediately we see two opposite characters in this story with two different hearts. Mary's heart, which was a heart of extraordinary generosity, and then Judas's heart, which was filled with unusual selfishness could call it anti-generosity. And the truth is, when we look at these two, each one of us kind of falls in between there somewhere. I can look at myself, well, I'm not as selfish as Judas, but I'm not as unselfish as Mary. So let's take a moment and look into both of these characters because it's very important. There's two polar extremes. Let's look at, first of all, Mary's extravagant generosity. Her gift was equivalent to about a year's worth of salary. So can you imagine going to the bank and getting a year's worth of what you saved? Every penny went for that savings. And you pulled it out and poured it on the feet of somebody. That's what she was doing. Some people think it might have been her inheritance. She was unmarried. Um, and of course, she just experienced her brother had died, and that would have left them maybe without somebody that's the breadwinner in the family. I'm not sure what their economic situation is. We know that all three of them were unmarried and lived in the same house. Um, and so she was literally maybe giving away her future. And why would she do that? I mean, what, what would be the motivation for doing that? Why would you do that? I can't think of anything else except love. I just 
nothing would cause you to do that. Nothing would motivate you to do that except some kind of deep-seated love that she had for Jesus. Um, that's my opinion, and I think it is substantiated. But let's look at Judas, on the other hand. What was his heart like? Judas, as opposed to Mary, he was, he, his character was unusual selfishness. Did you notice how Judas just got up into the face of, of Mary and everybody immediately when this gift, it just seemed to trigger something in him? And why should he care? <laughs> it's not his money. It's not his oil. Why should he care what another person does to give? And I've noticed this, that when extreme, un, this is unusual selfishness, when, when you see extreme, extravagant giving and love, it triggers people. It triggers what's inside. And sometimes some, some of the things, like, well, why would you do that? And we were talking about this. It's like, it's like, you know, that's happened to us. You know, there's been times. Uh, when you see somebody love Jesus more than you do, it makes you either critical or repentant. <laughs> so you're going to do one of two things. You're going to repent and ask God to open up your heart and help you to love Him more, or you're going to criticize that extravagant show of love. There's just really one or the other that's going to happen to us. So it really shines the light on us when somebody is generous in their worship in their um, money, in their giving, whatever they're giving, that extravagance towards God shines a light on us and, and we can repent. That's our best course of action. We can say, I'm not, I'm not there and I want to be. Or we can criticize. And we have to be so, so careful of that. Because somebody else's giving is not going to make sense to you. This Judas was the only one that was criticizing her. In the other gospel accounts, there were other disciples that were saying, "What a waste! Why didn't? Why couldn't this be used for uh, something more practical?" And see, I'm really practical-minded, so I think about what if I was there? What would I be doing? What would be my heart attitude? Would I be criticizing Mary and wondering why that was wasted, or would I just be like, "Wow, God, I..." I'm not there in my heart yet, but I want to get where Mary's at. I want to be extravagant in my giving. And also notice that Mary, and we didn't really talk about this yet, so I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Jesus said this was done for his burial. And it turns out that because of the way that he died and the timing of it, the body could not be anointed before it was put in the tomb. And that's why the women came early on Easter to anoint his body, right? Somehow she was able to do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit showed her to do this. She, she probably did not know the significance. I bet she, I'm sure she did not know the significance. She was following her heart, her heart of worship that compelled her to go get the most precious thing in her household, worth all of this money, maybe representing her future economic status. And to take it and to give it all just so unreservedly to Jesus. That was the Holy Spirit doing that. And she didn't realize the significance of it. 
And we have to understand that when people give extravagantly, we may not understand it. It may seem ridiculous and unpractical to us, but if they are being led by the Holy Spirit, there is particular significance to it, and we don't want to criticize it. We don't want to get in the way of it. That's right.